Hello and welcome to this edition of the Matt Adams Podcast, coming to you semi-live from the southeast side of Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm your host, Matt Adams, of the Matt Adams Podcast. Joining me this week, special correspondent Ann Adams. Hello, everyone. Now, this is a very special episode. No, it's, it's really not. We don't have any reviews really this week. We're just going to run down some different topics. And the first topic this week is about poor Ann who is a little under the weather. <laughs> I'm sick. But you wouldn't really know it. You would have known it yesterday if you talked to her, but today she's a little bubbly, and I don't understand why, because she woke up this morning feeling horrible. I did, but then I went to the doctor and I got some medicine, and then I slept for like three hours. So I'm sort of, I'm I'm in a good place right now. I'm medicated, <laughs> and... I think I can survive an hour podcast, so let's do this. This is probably all the energy she has tonight, so thank her very much after you listen to this episode. And you had a sinus infection. You have a sinus infection that was causing you to have a fever. Yeah, it was really weird. Like, I had this low-grade fever for, like, two or three days, and then I kept thinking, okay, I'm going to get sick. When's it going to happen? And I just felt kind of run down kind of my mom always says kind of puny I just felt puny and I thought am I gonna get a cold am I gonna get the flu because heaven help us it's going around again and my co-workers have been sick Matt's co-workers have been sick it's like oh geez and um and turns out I wake up Tuesday and I have this unbelievable headache like when you drink a slurpee too fast and it's up in your sinuses and it's like it's really painful that's the kind of headache I had, only constantly. And it just got worse this morning, and finally I just broke down and said, okay, that's it, I gotta go to the doctor. And turns out I have a sinus infection, but it's only on one side of my face. <laughs> so I'm a two-face. <laughs> <laughs> like the Batman villain? If that helps you. <laughs> yeah, so that that's that's how I'm rolling today. The only good news about that is that we, I was afraid it was going to be the flu, me and that too. you were going to be contagious, and, and at least that's well, not the case. And my concern was, you know, I have been off work for a couple of days, and I'm still going to be off work for a few more, um, just because I still have some dizziness and some nausea, and I just can't quite... I mean, I can function, but it's going to take a lot of medicine for me to function for a while, <laughs> but hopefully I'll be better by this weekend, but... Um, yeah, my concern was, oh my God, how long is it going to be before I actually start showing symptoms of this, you know, before it actually hits me? Because, you know, I'm one of those people, it's like, if I'm going to get sick, just, I want to be sick and be done with it. Bring it on. I'm like my dad. I hate being sick. Well, while Anna's down, Willie is up. Oh, It's, it's yes. officially the first day of spring uh, when we're recording. This is on Wednesday, the 20th of March. And Willie is celebrating by basking. He has basked for at least two or three hours today. Yes, and he's basked, uh, what, all, pretty much all the days this week? Yeah. He basked on Monday uh, and Tuesday and Wednesday. He's slowly gotten back into it. Um, I think he's sort of getting used to the heat, you know, because it's been so cold. So he, he has to get used to being back in, like, the direct contact with, you know, the, uh, the lamp, the basking lamp. So he's been kind of... Taking it slow, doing maybe 45 minutes is the most he's done so far. But today, I mean... He's been he's, up there for a couple hours. He's up there like a champ. I mean, he's been he's been up there. I think he probably got up there not long after I got home 
once he knew I was back. He is so sweet. When I am sick, my turtle <laughs> is like a dog. He is he is constantly like, what are you doing? Are you okay? Is there anything I can do? And I'm sitting there thinking, you're a turtle and you're in the water. There's not much you can do. And he just kind of looks at me like, do you need a cuddle? I mean, I'm here for you. And it's so cute. It's like he knows when I'm sick. He's like my therapy turtle. <laughs> well, it's just good to see because we, we know that for us, that means spring's here because yes. Willie is now out of his semi-hibernation state mm-hmm. where he just wants to be in the water pretty much all the time and doesn't mm-hmm. really get up and bask. That's what the that's what turtles do during the winter. And so now this means we're truly getting into spring here because, and he oh, yeah. senses it. Because now he's in, going to be in his normal routine. He's going to eat at certain times. He's going to get up and bask for a couple hours. And that's good for him. Like we've mentioned before, good for his digestion, good for his shell, and then helps him regulate his body temperature as well. So a lot of benefits to him getting up there and basking. Yes. Yes. And Willie, um, his brother, Lenny, is sort of... Not so much of a spring person. No, He's sort no. of still in winter mode a little bit. Although he has been out of his uh, log a little bit more at night, especially since we got him the, the heat lamp. Yeah, we bought a ceramic heat lamp for the top because it's been getting kind of cold in the house It's at been getting night. really cold. I and was really surprised because we've had those, you know, it'd be like 50 degrees and then all of a sudden it's like 20 or below and it's like, oh. The house just doesn't know what to do. The reptiles don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. But we yeah. bought Lenny a heat lamp and... Just because a nice usually, little secondary heat source. Usually what he does is he's got a little heat pad, a heating pad at the bottom of his tank and there it's under a log and so he'll just sit under the log and heat himself up there but he was staying there at night all the time not moving around he's a nocturnal little guy so you took him to the vet for a checkup he's healthy he's good but one thing they mentioned that well maybe it's getting cold at night and he's not moving around as much as he should be so we bought that heat lamp a ceramic heat lamp for the top of his tanks it doesn't put off any light it just puts off heat and now he's all over the place at night. And especially he's got a hammock, this green hammock that we love. And he love he'll he just climbs in that now at, at night. Loves to stay there. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know, is he hunting his crickets? He is, um, but he hasn't been doing it very much. I think he's he's usually when we first got him, we got him in the spring of last year, and when we first got him, you know, he would hunt at least two maybe three crickets and I put crickets in there and I actually let him see me put the crickets in there so he knows it's dinner time and I think he'll eat one or two a week but he's not really I mean we feed him the mealworms every day you know offer it to him and sometimes he'll eat those and sometimes he won't but lately he's been eating his mealworms and his waxworms so I mean I think his appetite's there he just probably hasn't been very much in the mood for honey but I'm glad that we figured out that ceramic heater cuz this was the first winter we've had him yes and our winter started out really mild and he was fine like he was still moving around at night and everything was fine but man when it got really cold you know that heater wasn't doing a whole lot well you that, know? yeah and the heat pad was and the only spot pretty that warm he had. in our house but i think with the weather being as it was our heater was having a hard time keeping up probably well in the room that he's in does probably have the worst of our drafts it probably in the house. does yeah so anyway uh 
and sick. Willie's basking. Lenny's in his hammock. Things are going great. And Matt's sitting here recording a podcast in his shorts. So that's an update on our family. <laughs> At last week, we did a, a fairly lengthy podcast, talked a lot about Captain Marvel. And had a really good time at the movie. I saw it uh, twice. Anne saw it with me once. And then she'll see it again when we take friend of the show, Dean Bankin. But we did want to thank our listeners because the Captain Marvel podcast is tied for the most downloaded of the podcasts that have ever been done. So, you know, we really appreciate that, people, for listening to it. And Yay, thank you. Share it with your friends. And if we can get one more download of that podcast, then it'll be the, the most listened to podcast in uh, the history of the show, the brief history of the show, but still pretty cool. Do you think we could press the download button? Would it let us do that? Well, what what you could do <laughs> is I could download Podcast Addict onto your phone, and then you could download the podcast onto Podcast Addict. Oh. Then we would get that download. we get okay. credit for that and, and stuff, but no, you don't have to do Darn. that. Darn. Okay. But no, it's, it's funny because um, it's tied with a podcast that I did on the DC Expanded Universe for the most listened to podcast in the history of the show. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. People uh, must have, I don't know if they enjoyed it or not, but they definitely downloaded, uh, listened to what we had to say about Captain Marvel. So that's pretty <laughs> cool. So thank you for that. It's uh, it's up at like $790 million worldwide. Oh, wow. It is the number one movie in the world. You know, there have been some concerns from people and some trolling from people and stuff like that on whether or not a... You know, a Marvel movie with a woman would be able to do what uh, all the other Marvel movies have done. And for the most part, she's hanging right with them. So that's pretty cool. And of course, we'll see Captain Marvel next in Avengers Endgame. And released too late for us to talk about it last week. But a new Avengers Endgame trailer hit last week. And had a lot of people talking. Surprising. Surprising. I didn't know they were going to have another one so soon. Well, And there are some who think that they'll do one more trailer. Either I don't know if it'll be a two-minute trailer or a, a shorter one, but you know this trailer was not the advanced tickets go on sale trailer. Tickets are not yet on sale for Avengers Endgame, which is April 26th, I think, is the release date on that. Some people think we'll get one more trailer that's going to be like, you know, sort of, boom, go get your tickets. Whether or not it'll be a TV spot or like a 30-second trailer or like a full trailer, I don't know. Some people are saying, you know, that... This trailer's not, if you haven't followed any of the Marvel movies, that this trailer makes no sense to you, and that it's not going to entice you to go see the movie, and that they need one that's a little bit more, maybe plot-heavy, and has a little bit more dialogue in it to kind of let people know what's going on in the movie, but the brand is so big now, I just, I don't, I think, I think the Marvel movies, honestly, are in the space as Star Wars movies, in that you really don't have to do a whole lot. They're, they're going to still spend a ton of money on promotions and ads and everything, but I don't think you have to try to appeal so much to that broad audience because I think it already has a broad audience. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Although I will say that uh, the first trailer I was really happy about for the Endgame uh, movie, but the second one... I'm kind of with everybody else. I mean, it was kind of nice because they did little character spots for everybody. But at the same time, because it kind of shows you the players that are still in the game, so to speak. But at the same time, I was kind of disappointed because I wanted to see a little bit more new footage. Maybe yeah, something more with Captain Marvel in it and you don't see. You don't get much. A lot, no. I mean, this is like 
the the guys the the Russo brothers who were the directors uh, are like a case study in not giving away the movie, and they they have been very secretive. I mean, you know, they kept the title of this movie secret for a long time, and they acted like it was some big spoiler, and when you heard the title, Avengers Endgame, were you the least bit, like... (laughs) I was not blown away, let's just say that. I wasn't like, oh my lord, that was worth waiting for. It was like, um, okay. There are plenty of books and movies and TV show episodes and stuff like that have had Endgame. It's, you know, if it was like... If it was called Avengers, Steve Rogers gets his right arm ripped off or something like that, that would have been a spoiler, <laughs> you know. Er, spoiler. <laughs> but Endgame is such a generic yeah. term that, you know, it, it doesn't really reference anything specifically. If they were referencing a comic story, uh, something like that, and, and wanted to withhold the title, but Endgame seemed to be a weird thing to hold back. But that said, uh, the trailer was interesting because it kind of sets up Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor as your big three. And it uses footage from the first Iron Man movie, the first Cap movie, and the first Thor movie to kind of set up these characters and the emotional journey that they've gone through through the movies. And then it does show us some new stuff, but I'm not sure how much you can trust your eyes because LaRusso said this week that there's there are a lot of Mr. X in the footage that they released in the trailer and some of the stuff that you may have seen, you may not really have seen. And they have a history of doing that. We talked about during pre-show, there's that very famous scene from infinity war where from that trailer, where the Hulk is running with everybody. Hulk doesn't come out after he gets beat down by Thanos at the very beginning of that movie. So that, that is footage that was in the trailer that wasn't in the movie Thor Ragnarok, which they did not direct, but Marvel and Disney obviously put out. They didn't show Thor with his eye gouged out because they didn't want to spoil that in the movie. So they've been known to, to take some things and take some liberties with them in, in order to try to preserve any surprises that you would have at, as a, as a film goer. Do you like that? Or, or do you still wish that you got just a little bit more? I'm one of those people that sometimes I like to be spoiled, but other times I kind of want to know when I go see the movie. And I think with Avengers, I don't mind being misdirected. But then again, I know there's some like serious comic book fans out there that are like, they freak out when they see something in a trailer that they don't think is accurate. And then they come to find out when they see the movie, oh, it's just like the comic. Well, and then they, and they teased us for no reason. And it's like, made us mad for no reason. I'm like, geez, I don't get as worked up about it as some people do. But I think it's kind of funny that they... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they redirect you yeah, like that. Because there are some people out there, some directors out there that love to mess with you so bad. I know some of the Star Wars directors loved messing with us with, you know, 7, 8, 9. And even with the Clone Wars. Isn't the director of that, isn't he infamous for saying stuff? They talked about it on Jedi Council. The Clone Wars guy. Oh, Dave about- Filoni? Yes! I kept thinking something that rhymes with pony. Filoni. <laughs> Baloney, baloney. <laughs> Doesn't he do stuff? Yeah, yeah. He's he's known for trying to not give stuff away too and misdirecting okay. as well. And, and you know, in those things that have passionate fan bases, I think that's good. Kind of tries to preserve stuff. But it also, I mean, after the Avengers trailer drops, then you get like ten thousand YouTube videos of people breaking down the trailer and giving their thoughts and analyzing it. 
Which, honestly, if we had a YouTube channel, we'd probably do that, too. <laughs> but then again, we also have lives. Sometimes. So. <laughs> one, one podcast a week I think we can do. Yes, you know? yes. Otherwise, no, it's not you know. So, if we didn't have day jobs and we could rely on YouTube money and stuff like that, we probably would do it. But we can't yes. and we don't, So, and we do have jobs, so, you know, we can't do that. But the thing is, I kind of feel, I don't feel bad for him, but... If you can't trust your eyes as to what you're seeing in the trailer, then how do you expect to draw out any plot points or anything? You know, all you could do is theorize anyway, I guess, until the movie comes out. You can't even trust what you're seeing in the trailers to formulate theories about it. I mean, everybody seems to agree that uh, Hawkeye has one heck of a haircut. His hair is awesome in that movie. I think it's magnificent. People have been making fun of him for that. Why? Like the faux hawk thing he's got going on. I think it's magnificent. But then again, we're, we're very hardcore Hawkeye defenders. I love Hawkeye. He's one of my favorite we, we characters. Love, we love Hawkeye. We're good with that. And then there's been a lot of discussion, too. There's sort of a fight. It looks like there's a crashed ship or something on a planet. And it looks like we've got Captain America down there. We've got Nebula. We've got War Machine and Rocket down there. Looks like they're having a fight with somebody. The only person I could think of that they would be fighting would be Thanos. And there's no way that they're showing you the final fight of the movie. So there's some thought that perhaps at the beginning of the movie, the Avengers try to figure out where Thanos is, go up there and fight him to try to get the Infinity Gauntlet back and, you know, try to fix everything. And that they either get beaten down or the gauntlet doesn't work or anything and they have to go to a plan B. Well, that's going to be really hard to get the gauntlet from him because isn't it pretty much molded to it? Uh, it looks to me like it pretty much, when he snapped, it pretty much looks like it fried itself to his arm. They're pretty much going to have to cut off his arm to get it. And I, I don't know if by doing the snap, if he used so much power that he harmed some of the Infinity Stones. Or you know, maybe that it only has capacity. one snap in it. Maybe it's just a one snap gauntlet and you can't fix it by way of the Infinity Stones. They may have to figure out another way. So I, I think that's what's going to happen is, you know, then they're going to come back to Earth. Then they're going to find Ant-Man, who has emerged from the quantum realm. I'm so glad that Ant-Man made it because He's I love funny. him. He's so good. He adds, when Tony Stark's not in the picture, he adds much needed comic yes. relief. Yes. I mean, the other people are, are funny in their own way, but like, he's the one that just makes everybody laugh yes i am so glad that I he's in him. this one and i loved him in the brief role he had in captain america civil war and i obviously liked him in both of the ant-man movies and so but anyway i think he escaped from the quantum realm he comes out into the world finds out that all these people are missing i think with him and tony stark and bruce banner they they either do some sort of time traveling or interdimensional transportation or something uh using the quantum realm to try to make things right is kind of how I think things are going to go. That's a very prevalent theory. I so. think that would be pretty cool. Actually, that'd be interesting is if they can't use, if they can't use the infinity stones. I mean, that's the only other way I can think of is, you know, using the quantum realm. Otherwise, why would they even mention it in the other movies? Yeah. I, I mean, I think they set that, I think they set that in credit scene in Ant-Man up to me. It was set up in a very specific way. They sent him into quantum realm. He didn't get snapped. I don't know if you're protected from the snap because you're in the quantum realm or if the rules operate differently or if he just happened to not be one of the victims. But the Michelle Pfeiffer character there does tell him, you know, don't get sucked into a time vortex because if you do, 
we can't get you back. Yeah. You know, so I think there's very specific. They very rarely just sort of throw something out there, and especially when they're connecting the movies through the end credit stuff, they very rarely just throw stuff out there unless it sort of connects to the the bigger tissue of the movie. Sure, no, that that makes a lot of sense, and I think that that's probably you know thinking about it, that's a good reason why Tony and Bruce are still alive is, you know, maybe that's what Dr. Strange saw was that right. they're the ones that have to live so that they need, they need their, their brain power, you know, Ooh, I like this theory, Matt. So we'll, we'll see. Cause honestly, um, I haven't been trying to, I haven't been thinking about it too hard. Cause I mean, there's so many ways that this could go and I'm like, I'm not going to try and think about it too hard. I just, I can't, but that is an interesting theory. That's yeah. a really interesting theory. And it's, it's sort of, I mean, I did not come up with all that by myself by any stretch. It's sort of a cumulative effort from reading a lot of different things. Plus, we also know there's some set pictures of Chris Evans in the uniform, the cap uniform that he wore in the first Avengers movie. Hmm. And we've got Thor dressed in his old Thor uniform with the, the long hair Oh, we're and going everything. old school, huh? So it looks like they go back to the Battle of New York. Mm-hmm. which we know would have had at least two Infinity Stones there because of Loki's scepter and the Tesseract were both involved there. So if they were trying to do some time travel shenanigans to gather Infinity Stones, that's a good place oh, to go and do it. Oh, that would be interesting. So we'll we'll see. And then we also know that there's going there are going to be some flashbacks because some characters that we know are going to appear, or at least supposed to, include Crossbones from Cap Winter Soldier, and uh, Captain America Civil War just was in the first part of that. He doesn't have anything to do with Infinity Stones, but if he's in it, then there's either a flashback or some sort of time travel sequence. Also, Tilda Swinton's supposed to be in it and make an appearance as the Ancient One from oh, Doctor Strange. Yeah. And again, that's a character who has died. And yeah, she was able to talk to him on the astral plane for a little while, but then she, she was gone. She's finished. And so for her to be back in it means that... There's got to be some sort of either flashback uh, or or time, you know, time swing. They've got to go back in time. Plus, there's got to be a time jump in the movie because when we first see Captain Marvel in the, the some minor spoilers, I guess, for the Captain Marvel movie, but when, when they have that in credit sequence and she meets Steve Rogers and the gang, Steve's still got his beard. Black Widow's got short blonde hair. And then in later shots in the trailer that we see... Steve's got a clean-shaven face, and then Black Widow's hair is grown out, and it's red again. So there has to be some time, too, between whatever they do at the beginning of the movie and then whatever they have as their, like, whatever their final plan is. Like, we won't spend the whole podcast speculating about Infinity War or Endgame, but those are just kind of some of the things that I found interesting from that trailer. April the 26th, we'll probably do a reaction podcast of that and because we got a lot of we got a lot of headway out of infinity war when when that came out we did a couple podcasts on that so in game is i mean as big as infinity war was and i think it was the 19th movie in the series in game is going to be the 22nd and it is the culmination of all these things that we've seen in the cinematic universe that marvel's put together they've got all those characters that got turned to dust and, you know, we want to know what, you know, and, and even on the poster, like, you don't see Spider-Man, you don't see Black Panther, you don't see Doctor Strange. So, but you know those characters at some point in the movie, they, they've got to come back 
to me, the question is, what is the price of them being able to come back going to be? Is this going to be our last movie with Tony Stark? Is this going to be our last movie with Captain America? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. And I hope, if there is some time travel involved, I do hope we get at least one more scene with Peggy Carter. Oh, yeah. That would be sweet. It would be sweet, wouldn't it? Yeah. And maybe they could dust off... uh, Oh, what's his name? Is it Dominic Cooper? Oh, the guy that played Howard Stark? Yeah. Yeah, it was Dominic Cooper. That'd I, be pretty cool. I'd love them to dust him off and bring him back. Cause I, I would love him. for him and Tony to see each other. That That'd would be, be great, pretty good. It? Yeah, that but would be good. We'll, we'll see. That's all fan service uh, pipe dream stuff. I so. know. We could just talk about this all day. But then again, it doesn't serve anybody to keep thinking about it. Because otherwise, I'll be thinking about it in my sleep, and I try not to get carried away, even yeah. though I want to like think about it all the time yeah, until could, it comes out. We could probably but... fill three podcasts with what we'd like to see. <laughs> so bad. Different theories about in uh, game. We 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 know that that is one of the big movies coming out in the summer, and we did sort of a thing earlier in one of the podcasts where we went through some of the movies that were coming up and what we wanted to see, and we thought that we would go through that and do a similar thing, except. Most of the movies that we're going to mention are ones that uh, are coming up that we didn't necessarily mention during that one. We hit a lot of the big ones, Captain Marvel and Endgame and stuff like that. There's a few big ones in here, but we're going to call this segment Movies Anne Wants to See. <laughs> even though it's not necessarily representative of, of, of things. But uh, the first movie that we have out is coming up this week, actually. It's from Jordan Peele. It's called Us. And I remember seeing the, the trailer for that, and it looked really creepy, and it's a horror movie, and it sounds to me like it's a hard pass for you. I, it's funny that you said, movies that Anne wants to see, and then we start <laughs> The first one us. is a movie that Anne does not want to see. <laughs> I, you know, if it's a horror movie and it looks interesting, I will give it a try. I don't always go to see horror movies in the theater. That's really rare nowadays. I usually will wait till they come out on video and then I watch them during the day when it's light outside or I go over with my dad and watch the movie because he's like me. He doesn't like to watch horror movies by himself. Um, so, yeah, us, it just looks too creepy. I don't know. That's just, no, I don't think that's going to be one that I'm yeah, going to want to see. I, I'm not, I mean, really the only horror movies that we've, only horror movie that we've seen recently is A Quiet Place. It was a really quiet place. Very quiet. And it's really good. We need to actually take that one over and watch it with friend yeah. of the show, Dean Bankin. Dad would like that one a lot, really. So, it was very impressive. I was really impressed. Yeah, I, and I, I don't love horror movies. Uh, to me, that was more of a thriller I'd type, say type so. of movie. Yeah, it with wasn't some really a horror. Elements. Um, reminded me a bit of Signs, I think, that we had oh, for said. Sure. And I liked, I liked that one. So that's, but I don't have a very they refined palette. They always say palette. the creepiest thing is what you can't see. Yes. It's like what's in your mind, like you see what these people have seen quote unquote, like you haven't really seen it very much, but they have seen it and they are absolutely horrified by it. And you could just tell that they're horrified by it. And that's sort of, you know, I call it horror by association. (laughs) And to me, those are the scariest horror movies, but so we'll probably skip that one or or watch it on video. We're going to skip it. Nope. It's a hard pass. Also opening this week, hotel Mumbai which we saw a trailer for one of the sh- movies we went it to not interesting, too long ago. But uh, I just kept thinking it so much like Hotel Rwanda, you know, with um, Don Cheadle. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever I've heard very much about about this, like the story behind it. Have you? Not not especially. No. I remember we went when we um, we went to Franklin College, 
and we got invited to there was like a um it was a we get like invited to these lectures um that franklin college still has and it's like only 20 minutes away for us so we we go every once in a while and i can't remember was it like 2009 maybe 2010 somewhere in that area we um we were invited to a lecture where paul russesas bagina was speaking and he was the author um of the book um that hotel rwanda is based on and he was actually the hotel manager um of the hotel that was the refuge for the people of that part of rwanda that were under attack so it was um it was really very moving to listen to him speak about this experience that happened to him personally and if you ever get to read the book um, it's called an ordinary man by paul russesa bagina it's a very good read it's an amazing read now you're going to make me find the book link and put it in the description of the podcast do it i'm gonna to have to do that now <laughs> uh, again that opens march 22nd march 29th uh this is a movie that ann wants to see of you the know, first three, it's the first. It's the first of the th- first three movies we mentioned that you actually yeah, want to see. Yeah, Dumbo. I, I'm a big fan of Tim Burton. I like his imagination and the way he makes his movies. And you know, Dumbo. I have mixed feelings about Dumbo. I'm a lot like Matt in that I just Dumbo is so incredibly sad. And it just, even as a kid, I mean, it just tore my heart to watch Dumbo. But it was such a sweet movie. And that little elephant, oh, Lord. But the older I get, and, you know, now I have adopted babies of my own and and they're baby animal, animal babies. They're not really babies, but they're animal babies to me. Um, I, I just can't imagine that poor little, that poor little elephant. Oh, Anyway, but I do want to see Dumbo. Matt, I think, could just care less. <laughs> He's giving me that look right now. But um, if we don't see it in the movie theater, at least I'd like to watch it on DVD. I think it would be really cute. I'll go see it with you, and we can cash in our movie tickets for Disney points at the very least. That's 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 the only reason you'd want to even go, is Disney points. Plus, I mean, I don't have to directly pay for my movie ticket to go see it. You know, because it comes out of the, since we pay the AMC Stubbs membership. So, you know, I'd go see it, pay for Ann's ticket, get the, get the, the Disney, the Disney movies, uh, movie club or movie rewards. I think that we always cash in our tickets and earn points and then we get more Blu-ray movies and stuff. (laughs) So it's a nice little program. More Disney movies. April the 5th is an interesting day. There's three movies. That are coming out on April the fifth. I think the big one is Shazam. Yes. That we've we've talked about, and it's it's another. You know, it's funny because DC tried to go dark and gritty with Superman and Batman, Batman v Superman, and kind of Suicide Squad and stuff, and it didn't really work out. The only successful, well, Suicide Squad made a lot of money. Uh, people do forget that, even though a lot of people dislike the movie. It made a lot worldwide uh, but it also had a high production budget but the the two movies that have made the most in the dceu or at least have the most positive reception are wonder woman and aquaman and mm. so um wonder woman's a hopeful movie and aquaman is balls to the wall insane <laughs> in a good way i love it when people use the term balls to the walls 
I just think that's such a great term. Well, you know, they do the honest trailers. Uh-huh. You know, they, they were doing, they did an honest trailer for Aquaman, and it's it's pretty funny. Like, <laughs> the, at the end, they always do, like, a cast list of the different characters, and, you know, they'll be, like, also starring, and they're, like, Patrick Wilson screaming, and they just put this super cut <laughs> together of, like, the six times that Patrick Wilson screams as Ocean Master in that movie. He does. And it's a lot. And then they're also interrupting explosions. There are four times in the movie where characters are delivering exposition or talking to each other, and they get interrupted by an explosion. So we'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to watch for that next time we see that movie. Oh, my gosh. Michael Bay, things are exploding! <laughs> Pretty much. But those, those movies were... were uh, especially Aquaman, which went over a billion dollars and is the highest grossing of the DCEU movies, is a fun movie in tone, and Shazam looks to be a fun movie in yeah. tone. So I'm looking very forward to that one. I think it looks really cute. And, hey, you can't go wrong with a little kid that says, Shazam! And he becomes, like, a superhero. I, think, I love Zachary Levi. I think he's yeah. a great I think it sounds pick. like a really good family DC movie, Yeah, and that's the, the initial reviews are that... That way, it's a really good family, fun yeah. movie. So I'm looking forward wait. to that. Also on April the 5th, The Best of Enemies, which is a movie that Anne wants to see. I would like to see that. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I do remember reading about it. Um, it's If you've not seen the trailer, you should watch it. I it... have not, so I guess I should. <laughs> I guess so. I didn't know anything about this until we were putting this list together. <laughs> Anne goes, oh, I want to see that movie. What movie is that? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. There are no spaceships, no laser beams. I I didn't pay attention, I guess. <laughs> Unless beams come out of, like, Sam Rockwell's eyes. <laughs> hey, you know, that could happen because in this movie, it takes place in the 1970s in North Carolina, and Sam Rockwell plays C.P. Ellis, who at that time was the, what do they call it? The, um I don't know, the, the great, <laughs> they call it, like, the great Cyclops or... Um, he was like one of the heads of the Ku Klux Klan. All in I know area. Is, is like Grand Dragon or Grand Wizard. Oh, what do they call it? We might have to. We might have to Google it. <laughs> Let me look and see what it says. Um, yeah, there's like a Grand Cyclops. Okay. There's also like the Grand Sentinel, the Grand Magi, the Grand Ensign, the Grand Scribe. I mean, there's so many uh, things. But yeah, uh, C.P. Ellis was um, a Ku Klux Klan leader. He was also a big unionist. It takes place in 1971 uh, when the community uh, in Durham, uh, North Carolina, they are looking to integrate uh, their schools once and for all. They want to go ahead and get everything just finally integrated because this was something that they had been fighting for a long time. And so the city council brings in Anne Atwater, who is a very well-known civil rights, um, she's an African-American woman, uh, civil rights leader in the community. And they have like these council talks, uh, trying to figure out a way that they can peaceably get this accomplished. And so they invite all kinds of different civic leaders uh, from the community to come in. And one of the civic leaders that they invite to be on the council is C.P. Ellis. It's so funny because during these meetings, he and uh, Ann Atwater actually find out that they have a lot in common. C.P. Ellis, um, I won't give a whole lot away, but in the end, C.P. Ellis, I mean, he changes his whole view. He actually becomes one of the people who turns against the Klan. It's going to be an interesting movie. I'm, I'm interested to see how they adapt it. It's not, as far as I know, it's not based on a book. 
Um, it's just based on this uh, true story of these two people from um, not so different backgrounds, surprisingly. They find out that they do have a lot in common. That actually does sound pretty interesting. So yeah. we'll probably try to check that one out. Also opening on April the 5th is Pet Cemetery, which you said Ooh. before the show that if you had to choose between us and Pet Cemetery, you would probably be more inclined to see that I one. would see Pet Cemetery, uh, just because I've seen the original... I have not read the book, but I have seen the um, original movie. This one looks like it has a more serious creep factor to it. Like... The kids with the animal masks and the drums. We're talking like creepy child, uh, creepy children and Native American signs and all kinds of super creepiness. And they have that drum beat in the trailer that's very creepy. Yeah, super creepy. Yeah, no. Hard pass. (laughs) Maybe I'll rent it and watch it during the day. I, I, I will say this. I'll cuddle with Willie on the couch. We'll watch it together and I'll be like, don't worry, Willie. I'll never bury you someplace <laughs> like that. <laughs> I, I don't like horror movies. We've mentioned this on the podcast several times before. I'm not a horror movie aficionado. I am intrigued by both Us and Pet Cemetery. Am I intrigued enough to watch them? I don't know. No, I don't think you are. You're the kind of person that you're like me. You get intrigued by... I think the um, the creativity behind the movie and like the idea, it's like, oh, that's a really interesting idea for a movie. But in the end, it's like, do I want to sleep at night? <laughs> I mean, I, I saw Pet Cemetery oh, in high school. I'm like, a masochist. I, I, I like to see scary movies. I don't know why, but I've always enjoyed I them. think it was my senior year that I saw Pet Cemetery for the first time. Oh. And... I, it terrified me. Oh, I will say the first time I saw it, I think I was like nine or 10 years old. And I don't think oh, I gosh, did. Oh gosh, nine or 10? I don't think I did sleep. I wow. don't think I did sleep. And it, it was really the, the, the pet stuff and, and the Pascal and all that, that was fine. It was the sisters, Zelda, that they'd locked away. I I just, I can't, I can't, I couldn't handle that. I no. just, that was, she and was I creepy. Was, I was super creeped out because um, if you ever read the, you know, you read the story the, of the monkey's paw. That's like oh, a yeah. really yeah. famous yeah. like story that, you know, once you bury something, it doesn't come back the same. The kid, like, oh, the kid that came back in Pet Cemetery, I'm like, no, no, thank you. Yeah, I, so. Super creepy. But. I would almost, I, I, A, I would, don't think I'll ever watch the original ever again. I remember it fairly well, and I would not mind seeing the new one to compare it to what I remember from the original. Mm. But I don't know if I feel overwhelmingly great about doing that. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel absolutely compelled to go, like, watch it immediately. I think maybe one day when the mood strikes me, but I if If I knew that we were going to have three straight days of sunshine with no darkness... If we lived in Alaska where it was like sunny for like 12 hours, maybe we'd do that. 12, 15, 24 hours. I, I, get, I get that screamishness, I think, from my dad. He doesn't like horror movies. My mom doesn't really either. Your dad doesn't even really like thriller movies that are too scary. Dad could barely handle Jurassic Park. Yeah, he so, bless him. He's so know. sweet. But yeah, so ugh, we'll, we'll <laughs> see about that. All I know. I is, think my dad will want to see Pet Cemetery, though. I'll tell I don't you what, know why, but if if uh, and I, I don't know why I always refer to him as friend of the show, Dean Bankin, <laughs> but I always do. Oh, I think he would. I think he would appreciate that if he ever listened to the podcast. But if friend of the show, Dean Bankin, wanted to watch that, feed us and keep all the lights on downstairs. <laughs> oh, you know, and we watched it in on. daytime. Maybe we could we could do that, and then we could all laugh it off. Oh, that wasn't scary, and then we go home, and it's like. Mr. Marbles. 
<laughs> well, we'd have to, we'd watch it on a Sunday. Like you said, they'd feed us. We'd watch it with the lights on. And then afterwards, dad will be like, okay, so let's watch a palate cleanser. <laughs> let's watch a lighthearted let's movie. Let's watch Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> let's watch Captain America, the first <laughs> Avenger. <laughs> then April the 12th is one I don't think we mentioned last time. Missing Link. Oh, is yes. done by the, the folks who did Kubo and the Two Strings, I think. Oh, Leica. it looks so cute, and I love that Hugh Jackman's in it. That's adorable. Hugh Jackman and Zach Galifianakis, I think, are the two big voices in that. Yes, and it's kind of this, uh, you know, missing uh, human ancestor, missing link, as they say, and and they find him, and he's really he's fairly intelligent and wants yeah. to try to find the other people of his species. Hugh Jackman looks like, you know. <laughs> The adventurer, the refined adventure gentleman. He's like the British uh, refined archaeologist who's like dressed from like clothes from the Victorian era. The gentleman adventurer. Yes. And he is, he's sort of like the Rudyard Kipling of the story. And he basically is on this quest in the forest and he gets a letter from this Sasquatch type creature that apparently can write and asks him to come and find him and meet him because he needs help and he finds this creature and finds out it can talk and that it's looking for its ancestors and the rest of its family technically. And so they both go on an adventure together and it looks really cute. It looks fun. I, you know, if I had my choice between Pet Cemetery and Missing oh, Link. Oh, I mean, that's no missing contest. Missing Link by a landslide. No contest. On May the 3rd, uh, <laughs> Ugly, Ugly dolls, dolls, which a uh, very popular plush child's toy. We've actually got one of them, I think, don't we? I have an ugly doll. Don't you call him Turny Bernie? Or... I do. I call yeah. him Turny yeah. Bernie because he's and got two sides. It's a it's a kid's animated movie, kind of in the same vein as Trolls. You know? And I love Trolls more than I thought I would, so I'm really looking forward to Ugly Dolls. It looks super cute. The, the tra- Yeah, I mean, it's a typical kid's computer animated movie. Lots of bright colors and pop culture jokes, but... When I went to see Captain Marvel, Anne was supposed to go with me on Saturday with my friend Krillich, and she couldn't because she had to work. And But anyway, that trailer for Ugly Dolls played before the movie, and there was this joke that was in the trailer, and I sat there and I, I said to myself, if they show this trailer when I take Anne to go see Captain Marvel, she is going to laugh out loud in the movie theater. And it, it was, they were going through the different celebrity voices, and they named Blake Shelton, plays a character... And some character gives their name and he's like, I love literal names. Isn't that right? Gibberish cat. And then this cat goes. Blah, 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 blah. And <laughs> it was, it was pretty funny. I thought it was actually pretty funny in the theater, but I, I said, I, cause I know Anne's sense of humor. I said, Anne is going to laugh. You're going to hear her laugh at that in the theater. And so when we went to see Captain Marvel, they did show this trailer and guess what I heard in the movie theater after that line? <laughs> and laughing hysterically over everybody else in the theater. It was funny. It was funny. But I enjoyed it. I, I, I would go see that movie just because of that one laugh that I got out of the gibberish cat line. <laughs> What's your name? Wedgehead. I love literal naming. Isn't that right, gibberish cat? <laughs> May 10th, we've got Detective Pikachu. Which is one yeah. that um, we mentioned before on the podcast. We saw the trailer. I think we did a podcast maybe the week they released the first trailer for that. And we're like, we don't really know anything about it. Yeah. I mean, I missed, I think Matt probably did too, but I missed the whole Pokemon thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know too much about Pokemon or Pikachu. 
Um, but it does look like a really cute movie, I have to say. It looks adorable. And they put out a new trailer for that a week or two ago. It still looks really interesting. And I like Ryan Reynolds doing the voice. And yes. I think it'll be pretty entertaining. And, and again, not one that we would normally probably go see. But, you know, if we need something to do and we don't want to watch Endgame for the fifth time, then... <laughs> That'd be a good thing to do. But if we've only seen Endgame four times, we're going to go see Endgame. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, May 17th. We haven't really talked a whole lot about John Wick. Uh, we liked the first John Wick movie. We liked yes. the second one. Uh, the first one was a big surprise to everybody. Keanu Reeves kind of doing an action role that he hadn't done quite in a while. It was a lower budgeted movie, but it had great action and a really, you know, sad story about this poor guy who yeah. was an assassin and tried to kind of stay away from all of that, but got involved in it again. We uh, change, we've got Plex, and Plex ingests its own metadata for your movies when you put them in, and so it brings up John Wick and has this plot summary about John Wick. <laughs> and I changed it to, you know, don't steal John Wick's car, don't kill John Wick's dog, You've been warned. <laughs> that should have been the movie tagline. It should have been, because that's pretty much the gist of the movie. <laughs> and the sequel is really neat. They expanded the world of the assassins with the hotel, the Continental, and everything. Although, when I think of the Continental, I think of the Christopher Walken yes. sketches from Saturday Night Live. What are we going to do when Christopher Walken passes away? Uh, it is going to be a day, actually a month of national mourning, we I will, think. We will do a Christopher Walken podcast, that is for sure. Yeah. But yeah, the, that's the best skit he's ever done is the Continental. Oh, so oh I funny. love that. And so John Wick 3, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum is out on May 17th. I think it's going to be, you know, John Wick getting chased by assassins and probably finding a way to beat 50 people Parabellum. at once. Parabellum, that sounds like a fancy name. It is a fancy name. Uh, we've mentioned this before. We even sang a little bit of A Whole New World, but there's oh, no. a new Aladdin coming out on May the 24th. Uh, the first time they released footage of Will Smith as the genie, people did not like it. But they put yeah. out a full-length trailer last week. I thought it looked better. I think if you can go to it fresh and just sort of accept it for what it is, a live-action movie. Like, I did that with Beauty and the Beast. I tried not to compare it to the animated movie. Because it's not going to be exactly like the animated movie. There's no way. Even though they have the same plot <laughs> and wear the same costumes <laughs> and, pretty and much sing go, the same songs. And pretty much go scene by scene when and if they can. You know, obviously, unfortunately, we lost Robin Williams in 2014. And I think that he would have absolutely loved to have come back to do this, you know, to do the genie. But I think Will Smith, <laughs> Will Smith adds the perfect amount of humor to the role of the genie. And I like the fact that he doesn't try too hard to imitate Robin Williams in doing the genie. Looks like he's doing his own he thing, tries but still to do paying his own tribute, thing. You know. Exactly. I mean, because you can never be Robin Williams. No. But I think other than Robin Williams, who made that really his own, if you can't have Robin Williams, I think they picked a really good person to be the genie. And so I'm kind of, I'm looking forward to it. I thought the trailer that they released looked really good. And like you said, it had a lot of beautiful people in it. Don't you love it? It's like, that's one of the reasons I used to watch the CW shows. I'm like, <laughs> I can't look away. It's like beautiful people in teen soaps. I mean, it's like, I don't even care what's going on. I'm just looking at how wonderful their makeup is. It's like the same thing. Like everybody's so pretty in that movie. 
<laughs> you'll, you'll get a kick out of that. There are several websites that refer to the Jafar character. Oh, yeah. As hot Jafar. He is actually very good looking compared to what Jafar was in the animated movie. I think movie. people in their mind had a vision of an older guy. Yeah, kind of creepy. Like he kind of was oh, yeah. in the cartoon. But they went, they skewed younger with this character. It's like, I can totally see the princess marrying this hot guy. You know, it's like, ooh, no, no, no. Let's not, let's not think about that. Uh, the Lion King will be out later in the summer. I don't have it on the list because this I'm is so really excited. through May. I love the Lion King. And I am still, I still have mixed feel. I know that they'll do great with it, but it's I It's still... hard. It's hard to accept when they take a beloved movie like that and they redo it. And yeah, it's kind of cool because it's introducing it to a new generation, but it's sad because why can't you just remaster the old one and introduce it to the new generation that way? Why do you have to mess with something that's already fantastic? My, my biggest gripe with it, I am so glad like you couldn't not have James Earl Jones in it. So I'm glad they brought him yes. back. I mean, they could have just rerun his lines from the original movie to be fine, but I know that they recorded new stuff for it. And I like Chiwetel Ejiofor, but I love, you know how much I love Jeremy Irons. Yeah, that's you, really sad. You that know You know how much I love his Uncle Scar. That. And I'm surprised. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish they can change everybody else's voices, but Mufasa and Scar, I just wish they'd had James Earl Jones and Jeremy Irons. Yeah. But again, it's going to be, it, 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 I think it'll still be good. John Favreau's directing it. He has an incredible track record. He did such a great job. You know how much your dad loves the Jungle Book cartoon. Oh, it was well done. And he loved the the sort of CG slash live version that they did of the Jungle Book. So I don't really have too many concerns about it. I just, I love Jeremy Irons so much. I know. It's really sad that they couldn't get him back. For I that. like the three-hour version of Kingdom of Heaven just because there's more Jeremy Irons in it. <laughs> goodness and then the last one on our list is it's kind of funny because it sort of goes along with the fact that we've not seen bohemian rhapsody yet oh yeah we, we need, do to, need to we need to do that, that. Uh, but on may 31st the elton john biographical movie rocket man and i'm actually probably more excited about this than you are because i am a big elton john fan I well let's see elton uh john. dumbo rocket man this is the list of movies Anne wants to see <laughs> very true but yeah, no, Ro Rocket Man is a biographical film about the great Elton John and the struggles that he went through, you know, as a young artist and trying to make it in the music world. And it stars the guy from Kingsman, Taron Egerton. From what I read, he's doing his own singing in this movie. Which I think is very cool. And I think Elton John probably thinks that's pretty cool, too. Because, I, I, you know, I think that was one of the criticisms of Rami Malek winning the Oscar in Bohemian Rhapsody is he didn't do his own singing. They, you know, they used Freddie Mercury. Yeah. But um, I have to respect an art of, of an actor that says, you know, I can't do it. I can't sing. Yeah. There's no way I'm going to be able to do this justice. And I also respect the people that say, I'll give it a try. Let's see what happens. And, you know, like with Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon in walk the line. Those are two people I never expected to do their own music. But they did. They sang all those songs. And I mean, I say kudos on both sides of the both sides of the road on that because I mean it is kind of disappointing when they don't do it because then it doesn't really feel like you're sort of you're, in you're not the, the movie. character. You know yeah. what I mean? Sort of like sort of like they're doing an imitation when you're not you know, whereas if they can do it, there's more like sort of like with um Tom Hilston in the um 
the Hank Williams yeah, movie. Yeah, the Hank Williams movie. It was it was just really made you feel more in the movie, like in the moment following the life. You know, it didn't feel like you were watching, you know, a movie about this guy's life with their music as the soundtrack. It was a whole different experience. So, but I'm really looking forward to this because it's sort of like a look inside the imagination of Elton John. You know, he's such a, he's such a creative person and he has such, he's such a, just kind of a, crazy mind i mean i i used to love his outfits when i was a kid i used to think he had the coolest outfits and the big sunglasses and the feather boas and he was such an amazing artist and you know along with prince and some of these other very some of these very eclectic people it's he's just such a neat person and it's amazing how much he's gone through personally and come out the other side you know he had such a long battle with addiction and drugs and a lot of that affected his music in a big way I mean a lot of the music he wrote when he was under the influence of drugs I love how even though he credits a lot of his creativity from you know the drugs he also went through a long period of getting clean and sober and then he basically dedicated his life to like AIDS charity work, you know, things. I mean, he gives so much money to so many charities every year. I mean, it's incredible. He's just a really cool person. And what do you think from what you've seen in the trailers of the portrayal of him by Taron Egerton? Oh, I, I think in looks and voice, I mean, just in everything. I mean, Taron really did do a great job with I think it looks Elton. good. I think looks it looks, he looks a lot like Elton John. That, that takes us through movies and wants to see. <laughs> uh, we did want to mention we watched last, the other night, we watched The Hate You Give. Yes. Which is a very interesting movie. And you've read the book, so... We're not going to talk about this for too long, but I just wondered what you thought comparing the movie to the book. I thought they did a great job. I mean, there's only maybe one or two scenes that they probably exaggerated more for dramatic effect, probably because, you know, certain scenes didn't translate well from book to screen. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, they followed the book really well. And I loved the book, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. If you get a chance, you should read it because... I think it should be required reading for all children. Like, I think it should be a school required reading. On the uh, library's wait list for the ebook version, I am number 137 wow. on 30 copies. So, <laughs> one of these days we'll get there. <laughs> no, I really, I, I, I really liked it. Thought provoking. I, I heard a lot of good things about the book, and I probably, I wish I'd put my reserved down before mm -hmm. the movie had come out it was still going to be a popular book but then sometimes when a movie comes out that popularity explodes a little bit and oh, i kind of got caught up in that on on the wait list yeah it was interesting i mean you know we it's it's a different world out there you know for people of different skin colors and you really don't understand and i i don't say that seeing a movie or reading a book about it makes you understand it in the way that it impacts their lives, but it does give you food for thought about oh, our own prejudices and how the the how we view the world. It opens up conversation, and that's really what should happen, especially nowadays in schools when there's still, especially you know, in the world when the kids that you know are coming up below us, behind us, you know, they need to be able to have a more open dialogue with each other. And especially when there's so much racism in the world, there's so much, you know, 
anger and bullying mm-hmm. and hate. I Division. mean, it's just yeah. sad. And, you know, certain certain elements in our world today, you know, sort of make it okay. You know, a lot of that's fueled by social media. The fact that people can be just so hateful without, you know... Um, the fact that everything you do now is recorded, you know, from traffic stops to, I mean, just any kind of altercation you get into with anybody. I mean, just some old lady at the supermarket. I mean, the next thing you know, you're go- you've gone viral. I mean, and everybody hates you. <laughs> I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's it's a strong message in that movie. Of it is. Empowerment and standing up for what you believe in and fighting against injustice. And I, I think you're right. Requ- should be required reading required viewing for for everybody because yeah. it does force you to look at something from a perspective that you're not used to and i think if we had more stories that were like that that force us to kind of confront mm-hmm. uh, the world in a different way it's not going to be a cure-all it's not going to fix everything it's not going to no. affect everybody but it will help i think yeah and like i said dialogue being able to talk about it that's the important thing you know, being able to talk about it with people in an open forum without there being any kind of repercussion. Everybody just needs to be able to talk about their feelings. And nowadays that's hard because, you know, you get... You get shouted down or sometimes beat down, you know, or people, figuratively, yeah, or sometimes literally. A lot of times, you know, people just believe what they believe and they're not They're not going to try to change. Yeah, they're not willing to listen to anything you have to say. And of course, I always tend to take a humorous slant on things and... <laughs> I did enjoy the movie for sure, but I told Anne last night, that is a thought-provoking movie, Anne. It provokes thought. <laughs> and I just sort of rolled my I'm eyes just like, like, you are ridiculous. But it is really, uh, really good. And, you know, the funny thing is, too, there, there aren't a lot of people in that movie necessarily that I recognize as actors. I knew a couple of them. But it is extremely well cast and extremely well acted. And, boy... Falcon really went astray without the guidance of Cap yeah, in that movie. Yeah, Anthony Mackie. He plays King, who's a very important character in the book. And he did it real well, I have to say. I mean, he definitely portrayed him very well. So that's a movie in a book. And that dovetails very well into our next segment. So <laughs> let's pause for our favorite jingle. What are you reading? What are you writing? What are you writing or reading today? And what you didn't see is that I just did jazz hands in the background. We both did. <laughs> Raises the question, Anne, what are you reading? What are you writing? What are you working on? Well, I am not really writing too much right now, but I am reading, obviously. One of the books that I've got recently from the library, you know me, I'm big into audiobooks. Um, the one that I'm listening to right now is The Wilderness of Ruin by Roseanne. <laughs> He's making, he's making me laugh. Montillo. Yes. And, and the, the reason is because, <laughs> and it was like, I, I have a trouble uh, remembering the title of the book. So I'm going to tell you what it is so you can type it in it's so we can see the podcast note. of illness. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm transcribing it and I'm like, the wilderness of truth? She goes, <laughs> ruin. The wilderness of ruin. And she told me the author's name, which was Roseanne. And I'm like, by Margaret, what? She's like, no, it's Roseanne. If I wasn't, like, across the way from you, I can't reach you. <laughs> I would slap you. And it, it got even worse there. You said it's about Jesse Pomeroy. And, and I'm like, Jesse Palmer from The Bachelor? And you're just like, <laughs> no, stop it. <laughs> He 
knows better than to make fun of me when I'm sick, but he likes to do it because he knows it makes well, the, me laugh. The, when trying to tra- transcribe the title, I just kind of got lost. And But the words <laughs> that I picked were completely wrong. No, and... it's like he wasn't even listening to me. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. uh, The Wilderness of Ruin by Roseanne Montillo. And uh, who is Jesse Pomeroy? Uh, Jesse Pomeroy was one of the first uh, serial killers, young serial killers in the United States. In 1872, he was 12 years old. He was basically sent to a boys' school. Uh, back then, they were sort of like reform schools for young boys who were um, violent or um, just going the wrong path. And he had been accused of attacking several boys, attacking them and beating them up or leaving them very severely injured. And he was sent to a reform school. And then once he got out, he actually was accused of killing multiple people. He became a serial killer after he left the reform school. So, I mean, it's been interesting so far. I mean, as much as I remember listening to because, you know, being sick, I'm like laying on the couch, listening to my book. The next thing I know, it's like... I'm out. <laughs> so, but from what I, I have been <laughs> from what to, I remember, it was from a what I remember, good it was a very it's very good so far. And so. that is the Wilderness of Truth by Margaret Watts. Stop it! Sorry, the Wilderness of Ruin by Roseanne Montillo. See, and you didn't even need the notes for that nope. one. Nope. You and got it. Again, Jesse Pomeroy. If you're interested in learning more about him, you can go. Wikipedia has a nice little article on him. Or you can read, there's also another book, um, I think it's called Fiend, and I can't remember who the author was. That's another good book. But yeah, it takes place uh, right here in the United States. It actually took place in Boston, Boston, Massachusetts. What book was I supposed to link in the podcast description? I've already forgotten. Uh, The book you were supposed to link in the podcast subscription. Was it one that I have read? It's one that you mentioned earlier in the podcast. Oh, it, uh, Hotel, Hotel Rwanda. Oh, An Ordinary Man by Paul Rusesasabagina. An Ordinary Man. An Ordinary Man. So we'll, uh, we'll have links to Hotel Rwanda, The Ordinary Man, and then the Cask of Amatiado. No, wait, the Stop. Wilderness of Ruin. <laughs> And also the hate you give. We'll have that was sort of a Poe reference, actually. And Edgar Allan Poe was from Boston, Massachusetts. Look at you, Matt, making connections. I thought he was from Baltimore. No, I think he lived in Boston at some point, didn't he? Ah, we'll have to check isn't that, that out. Isn't that who claims him as Boston? I thought Baltimore claimed Poe. We're going to have to figure this out. We're going to have to Google it. I think it's time for dun-dun-dun some Google. Say, Anne, give me some, give me some Googling music. It's like we're on pause and like it's some really like cheesy, you know, we're calling some company and they're like, oh, please hold the line. And we're like, some upbeat elevator music. As is often the case when we disagree, we're both right. Oh, no. He was born in Boston, Massachusetts, and he died in Baltimore, Maryland. All I know is that Boston claims Edgar Allan Poe. It's sort of like Lincoln. I think it's probably a split between the two states. I bet they probably fight over him. Sort of like Indiana, Kentucky. The, and... the, the triumvirate of Abraham Lincoln. Oh my God, Illinois. You know, poor, poor Abraham Lincoln. He's been split three ways for 
a very long time, pretty much since he died. And the only, I mean, the only reason I know anything about Baltimore is I was out in Baltimore and Poe was big out there when I did my internship. The Baltimore Ravens football team is named Ravens because of Poe. So I knew he had a connection to Baltimore as well. Hashtag the more you know. I guess. So yeah, that that will we'll link some of those books in the description yes, of the podcast. Yes, and please also let us know what you think of my elevator music. Um, I may be thinking about doing an album. I think you should. I think that would be good. <laughs> some electronica, especially. Uh, I should get like a little electronic, like a little keyboard <laughs> that I can like <laughs> no, you play shouldn't. music. <laughs> and then when like you say something really good, I'll go. Da-da-da. <laughs> it always makes me think of Daryl from The Office. Yeah, he's always playing music. <laughs> Oh my gosh it'd be like the tonight show i'll just be like your little musician sidekick now did you have anything i know you had finished the homicide hunter is there anything that you're watching no not specifically you know i've been watching uh, a little bit of cold justice uh, we're on season five and six cold justice cold justice um but other than that i've been watching gray's anatomy the other day i was watching gray's anatomy um every once in a while when i get bored and i just want to have something on in the background because obviously i've seen like pretty much just about every season i haven't watched the last three or four seasons just because you know uh my mom and i were really big into gray's anatomy and then sometimes when it goes for so long it's been on for a long time like some of those shows do it just after a while it starts to sort of ape itself and you're like okay i just i'm done but um, but yeah, I I pretty much watched for a long time, and so I pretty much know all those shows, you know. And sometimes when you're cleaning or just doing stuff, you just want something in the background. Well, we have a a Willy cam where we watch our turtle Willy can check on him, and I check on him during the day. And I was checking on the house yesterday at work because I knew Ann didn't feel well, mm. so I was checking the Willy cam, and I could pan the can the the pan the camera over to the the couch where Anne's laying down and as soon as I did I saw Patrick Dempsey on the TV oh Patrick Dempsey and I'm like I think she's watching she's watching Grey's Anatomy I think <laughs> yes did you watch Willie watch me watch Grey's Anatomy <laughs> it's it's a thing man I tell you though Willie is a big fan of romantic comedies he loves romantic comedies he loves anything. We watched As Good As It Gets the other day, and he really liked that. Yeah, he'll sit on the couch and watch stuff. It's pretty funny. He is really sweet. He's such a good boy. Just kind of, he was on the red couch, <laughs> and he was just kind of had his head up and was looking at the TV. It's pretty cute. And showed me a picture. And then, um, as far as what I've been watching, um, there's been a lot of stuff going on with R. Kelly. People talked about this R. Kelly documentary. So, I went to the Lifetime on-demand section (gasps) and watched the first episode of surviving r kelly which was interesting i can't believe you went to watch i can't believe you watched something off lifetime you always make fun of lifetime yeah well it's it's very easy to do my dad likes lifetime surprisingly really i did not know oh yeah he watches hallmark and lifetime he is in deep mourning right now that Lori laughlin oh i would imagine hallmark oh my mom is my mom's beside herself my yeah i'm sure they're getting a lot of crazy angry letters about that well, she's a big star in, you know, Wind Calls the Heart and then the, the Garage Sale Mysteries or whatever she's those on. Those are good. And there were supposed to be three new ones coming out, and now it doesn't look like those are going to come out. And Kind of a you bummer. Know, they'll, they'll, they'll lie low for a little while on that, and then, you know, they'll plead it down to some sort of misdemeanor that, you know, finds you $5 in a candy bar or something, and <laughs> it'll be fine. But What kind of candy bar do you think? Uh, probably a Clark bar. Ooh. I think they still make those. 
Maybe a, oh, with three musketeers. Those are big, and they probably are a little bit more expensive. Not the bite-sized ones that Kramer handed out on the Peterman reality the real, tour. <laughs> the reality, Peterman. Oh my gosh, the Peterman reality tour. Yeah, we watched the muffin tops the other day. It's a great episode. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, I did watch the first episode of the R. Kelly thing. I don't know if I'll watch the rest, but maybe I will. Who knows? Uh, we mentioned The Hate You Give that we watched the other night. Uh, that's pretty much it for viewing stuff. As far as writing, I'm still working on Stars vs. Crimson, and I am 75,000 words into that, and that should be finished soon. I would anticipate within the next week, week and a half, I'll probably have a finished first draft. Wow. Which is always a big accomplishment whenever you get up into that eighty to eighty-five thousand word range and you you finish. Uh, what I'm reading right now is, and can tell you, and we've sort of made jokes about this before on the podcast that I I'm sort of into Scientology, but not into Scientology. I'm fascinated by Scientology. I read the Going Clear book by Lawrence Wright. I've seen the documentary. We watched the Leah Remini show that we've mentioned on the podcast a few times. And there is a biography of L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of this crazy quote-unquote religion called The Barefaced Messiah by Russell Miller, I think is the, the guy. Russell Miller, Russell Davis, Russell Montillo. I don't remember. Matt. Da, 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 da. That's my music while Matt's looking this up. We should do like a show tunes version. Russell Miller is Ooh. the guy's name. And it was published like in 1987 originally and has been updated and stuff. But it's just about L. Ron Hubbard and, you know, how he always bragged about stuff and you can never believe anything. <laughs> was this the book that you were reading recently and you would like just stop like every 20 minutes and start laughing? And I just knew you were reading the L. Ron Hubbard book because you're like, there's some of this stuff is so ridiculous. <laughs> the guy lied about oh, everything in his life. and it's crazy. You know, but then he created this religion and made millions of dollars off of it and stuff and it's just it's insane it scientology itself is insane and if anybody that followed the religion knew anything about this guy and how this all came to be they'd be like i'm out but you know even before he quote-unquote created scientology he was just crazy like he lied about his military record you know he was like i fought this submarine and they're like it was a piece of driftwood and you know, we fired on it, and they had a big search for it, and then, you know, he always wanted to be a skipper, a command his own boat, but then they're like, this guy cannot take independent, we can't give this guy any <laughs> this independence. This guy is loony, too. Because he's loony, and, you know, he was like, I was shot a dozen times during this battle, and couldn't hardly walk, and, and then I was dying on, on, on the table, and I heard the nurses say I was dying, and then I, you know, went external from my body and looked down and went back. I mean, it's just nuts, nuts stuff in there, and he got into black magic. I, it's just, it's insane. Yeah, and it's really sad that, you know, unfortunately there are people in this society that feel very lost and very hopeless. Dianetics, for a lot of those people, was sort of a way out. Especially yeah. in the 60s and 70s, this whole revolution of people, you know, they, they wanted to know, is there something more out there in the world? L. Ron Hubbard came out with Dianetics and got all these people on the bandwagon. And you can stand on the outside and say, oh my God, you all are idiots. But at the same time, unless you've been through what some of these poor people have been through, you don't know why they chose it. You know, now now that some of those, these people have actually made it out, have blown, so to speak, mm -hmm. and, you know, they're sort of looking on, from the outside looking in, they're like, 
what was I smoking? And you feel bad for them because, I mean, that's like 20, 30 years of their life that they wasted giving money to this man who did nothing to help them, really, in the long run. Yeah, and this book hasn't even gotten to the Scientology stuff yet. This Sad. At, at the point that I'm at right now, they, they just released Dianetics, and they're making a lot of money yeah. off of Dianetics. And they're still getting money out of people. I mean, it's a whole big scheme to just get money out of people. Oh, it's, such, it's so scammy. It's so bad. And, you know, I feel they're so like, bad for people who got oh. caught up in it. They're like, give us more money and we can do all this amazing good. And they have like these big conventions. And like Leah Remini was saying when we watched, you know, the Leah Remini uh, documentary series um, on Scientology. Scientology in the aftermath. Very good series. You have to go. It's like mandatory that you go to like, what, three of these things, three or four of these things a year. At these big conventions, they talk about how, you know, drug abuse is down and, you know, all, you know, ki more kids are learning to read all over the world. And all of this has to do with Scientology and that they're doing the most good. No one else is doing anything in the world to help these people except for Scientologists. When you give like, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 to Scientology, you know, you, it's almost like a man, you know, it's almost like mandatory that you yeah, give this no, money. Yeah. In order to progress up your religion, you have to pay to take courses and get auditing, which is like counseling that they make you pay for. Well, and then and... that's not even counting the donations they ask you mm -mm. to give. I nope. mean, and a lot of these people that are in this are families, like with young kids, and they live in this sort of dormitory lifestyle where the kids are sort of separated from the parents and the kids don't see their parents for like hours on hours during the day. I mean, it's not like just a simple work day. You know, you leave at eight, come home at four and you have dinner. No, I mean, these kids, I mean, they don't really go to regular school. They're basically put in the Scientology programs from little, little kids on up. And then their parents, I mean, sometimes their parents will leave at like six o'clock in the morning and won't come home till midnight. You never see your family. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's a good environment for families. Well, it's but it's not. when you're working toward the cause, I mean, that's that's what well, they like, drill into you. Yeah. Nothing matters but helping the world and, through and Dianetics. A, Hubbard's writings teach that a kid is not a kid. It's an adult in a child's mm -hmm. body. So they don't have a lot of tolerance for kids. And then if Sad. you're a member of the Sea Org, you're really not supposed to have kids, although they've relaxed those rules a little bit. Yeah, and it was now. sad because when people did get pregnant back in the, well, what, the 70s and into the 80s? Because when did they start relaxing the rules? Like the 90s? Late uh, 90s? Really not until the last, like, yeah, like last decade or so. Yeah, so. Decade and a half. It's sad because they would ha make these people have abortions. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, yeah. some of this stuff was so shocking. And a lot of these poor people that even made it out, I mean, they're still scarred Just, to this day. Yeah. So anyway, I'm reading the biography of this guy. I, I, I know a little bit about it because I've read some of the other stuff. I've seen the TV shows and the documentaries and things. But You can never read nuts. enough stuff on L. Ron Hubbard. No. It's amazing. And they're still uncovering stuff about him, which is unbelievable. And, I mean, it, it, he was, uh, he must have been an incredibly charismatic, he was an incredibly charismatic. I didn't think he was that good looking. So well, he must have had something. You don't have to be good looking to be charismatic. Well, I don't know. It helps. Speaking as a woman, I think look having a good look helps. I mean, he's okay looking, and then he opens his mouth, and it's like, no thanks. But he was very charismatic, and he would just come into a room and have people at rapt attention. You know, they they just they couldn't they they couldn't draw themselves away from him. He just pulled people in with all these BS stories that he had about you know sleeping with 
bandits in Mexico and traveling and learning the secrets <laughs> of the East. And Sounds like he needs a real Peterman. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a Peterman he's reality like, tour right like there. He's like the Jay Peterman of the Peterman reality tour. And, of course, it. he never had any money, and that's why Scientology exists pretty much, is because he was like, how can I make the most money that I can? And this is how he came up with Scientology, because he never, ever had money. Uh, how he did make quite a bit of money at, at one point in his life, he, he wrote for he wrote pulp fiction. He wrote in stories, uh, science fiction, westerns, and fantasy stories, and, you know, they paid like a cent or two a word or whatever, and he, he did pump out a prodigious amount of words and was a prodigious writer. He could pretty much write all day, and um, sometimes, you know, I've had a day, I think, once in my life where I wrote 10,000 words in a day where I sat and I wrote pretty much all day and something very clear had in my mind and was able to come out. But if I have, usually I write about 2,000 words a day. 5,000 words is like a really, really good day. Anything over 5,000 words is extraordinary for me. Of course, this is, I have a day job. I don't have hours and hours and hours to just sit and write. Can't come home from work and write right away. You've got to come home and sort of decompress a little bit. You know, I want to hang out with Anne. I don't want to be sitting in front of a computer all night trying to pound out words. And my life doesn't depend on it. But for Hubbard at times it did because that's how he made money. But he just had these prodigious word counts and like said he wrote a million words in a year. Curious as to what my career word count was with her hubbard saying that that's how many words he had written it maybe wasn't even a year maybe it was in less than a year so i went through and last night i counted up all the short stories i have 22 or 20 finished novels i have two novels two additional novels like crimson and stars stars versus crimson's almost finished i have the inspector willie book that's about three quarters finished and i didn't include those in these this total and that would be about 100,000 words more. I have 17 short stories. Most of them are around the 4,000 to 5,000 word range. But anyway, that's I've been writing steadily, what would you say, since 2010? Mm -hmm. is probably when I really started doing short stories and kind of daily word count type stuff. So I've been writing for a little bit of while, a, a while. And I don't write every single day, and I don't spend eight hours a day writing. Between those 20 novels and the 17 short stories... I have 1,857,000 words over a nine-year span, okay? And I would be consider myself someone who writes quite a bit there over a long time, and maybe I'm just not as prodigious as L. Ron Hubbard, but... Uh, well, I think most of the stuff that comes out of your mouth is actual wordage, where I think most of the stuff that came out of his mouth probably isn't something you'd find in a dictionary. Probably just did gibberish. Who well, knows? And, and he, he was writing just to write and didn't do the editing and the proofreading and all that stuff. It just sat there and wrote yeah. and wrote and wrote. And so I, I, like I said, he has, I mean, he's got tons of short stories. He's written several novels and that sort of stuff. There's definitely a large body of work out there. And I have no doubt that he probably does have millions of words in total from all the stuff that he has written. But I just want to put it in perspective that it's taken me nine years to get 1.8 million words. <laughs> yeah. I have lapses where I don't write as much, but that's from a pretty steady output. I did throw in a couple of books that don't necessarily need to belong there to inflate the word count a little bit. But <laughs> Like, I, I wrote a, a book called That's No Moon, and I wrote a sequel to it. The sequel word count is 147,000 words. 
because that sequel has not been edited yet. And you know that my books tend to average between 90 to 95,000 words. Oh, so, yeah. So that means about 50,000 of those words are going to get jettisoned at some point. Wow, Timey Dancer is 72,000? Yeah, it's not very long compared to some of the other stuff. Yeah. But are you impressed that we got 72,000 yeah. words out of Timey Dancer? I don't, that book was a really good read and it didn't feel like it was 72,000 words, but. But yeah, I mean, a lot of my stuff tends to fall in this 90 to 95,000 range. Crimson Streak 3 is a little bit longer. It does have appendices in it, so that's a little bit longer. This book here for my friend Evan is 102,000 words. Uh, it is finished, uh, but it does need some more editorial polish, so I imagine it gets condensed down to ninety to 95,000 words. But, you know, these finished novels, 96,000, 95,000, 96,000, 89,000, 91,000, 91,000, 84,000, 90,000, 80,000, 88,000, 72,000. Those are kind of typical word counts for me. And then you'll see this one here, The Adventures of the Taxes, is 45,000 words. But that's a middle grade book for kids. Yeah, you don't so want anything too gonna be heavy shorter. for kids. Just like the Inspector Willie, which if you didn't know, our turtle Willie, I've turned him into a, a book detective. Oh, I can't wait to read it's it. It's really, a, it's fun. Oh, it's cute. And it's about three-fourths finished. I need to go back to it. I, that That's targeted toward a younger audience, like a kid audience. So you're looking at forty to 45,000 words for that book. That's a, kind of a typical middle grade, what they would call a middle grade age book. And I didn't mean to get off on too much of a tangent. I just wanted to illustrate the fact that L. Ron Hubbard said he wrote all these words. <laughs> We're good at getting off on tangents. And I have written for quite a long time, and I have a pretty good word count overall. If you add up all the body of work, it's not too bad. No, not at all. I'm a fan. I fear no reprisal. <laughs> This is Matt Adams. I fear no reprisal. I don't know how we got onto that joke this week. Oh my gosh. We have made a meal out of that, haven't we? Yeah, there's that great episode of Seinfeld where the, the Mets want George to be their director of scouting. And he the only thing is he needs to get fired from the Yankees. And he tries everything. He, he spills preserves on the, the Babe Ruth jersey or strawberries. Yep. And he's bodysuit man running out in the field like a naked guy. Yep. And then at one point he gets in his car and rants about the Yankees and drags the World Series trophy behind his car. <laughs> and he makes it very clear that his name is George Costanza. I fear no reprisal. <laughs> and Anne said that for some reason this week, and we have just been on that joke all week long. So anyway, we, we've talked about movies. We've talked about turtles, word counts, the hate you give. It's probably about time for Anne to take more medicine and get a nap, probably. Yeah. So that will wrap it up for this edition of the Matt Adams Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Statomatty, S-T-A-T-O-M-A-T-T-Y, at Statomatty. Send me an email, matt at mattadamswriter.com, matt at mattadamswriter.com. And Anne, where can the people find you? At a Walgreens near you, getting medicine, on our couch, or wherever Matt is. <laughs> It's a great bit. Love it when you put a little <laughs> twist on it. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Thank you.